Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. And today we are going to take a trip inside the transfer portal here in college football. We're going to talk through some prospects that you need to know for the 2021 season and the 2022 NFL draft with my buddy Ben Fennel here in Draft Buzz, where we're going to take a look at what has truly been a unique offseason. And really, I would say that it's really going back over the last I would say 12 months or so uh, in the college football calendar. Obviously, it's been a unique year uh, across the entire world. But just looking at college football, uh, the transfer portal has been very, very unique this year. And we're going to get into all of the reasons why, all the different reasons for all the movement, um, top players that you should know going into the season. We're going to cover all that in Draft Buzz. Um, coming up just under a month away from our conference previews, kicking off early July. And we're going to kick things off with myself, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, breaking down all the top players across every conference in major college football. You do not want to miss that kicking on next month. We're also continuing our process series. I caught up with PFF's Austin Gale late last week. I've got another interview scheduled for later this week as well. So you'd make sure you are tuned in right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. As always, quick reminder, rate, review, subscribe. If you're not already, make sure you go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a few minutes for us, great gift for me at this time of year. Jump on, leave a rating, leave a comment. If you've got a question, I'll answer it. Just leave it right there in the comment box, and we will get to it in an upcoming show. That said, let's get into the top right here, talking about Transfer Portal with Ben Fennell in Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, so a fun kind of show today as we dive into Draft Buzz with my buddy Ben Fennell to talk through uh, the transfer portal. Ben, uh, you have shifted your attention towards this 2022 class far deeper than I have. But uh, one thing you and I have talked about a lot, I mean, really over the last, what now, nine, ten months, is just the the movement in college football that really began late last summer going into the early stages of the fall. uh, But we're still feeling a lot of that movement now with these transfers. Well, certainly, you know, the last calendar year, 18 months at this point has been incredibly unique, obviously COVID and the situation with playing and not playing. And then the approval that just went through for the one-time transfers uh, to have immediate eligibility. This last calendar year was very unique and that's kind of its own conversation. But even before that, transferring, as you know, was a growing trend. But why was it a growing trend? And while it's becoming popular, I think it's really important just to note Every situation is different and everybody has different reasons. But at the end of the day, players are realizing they have some power in their decision making. They can control certain things in their lives to a degree. And where they play football and where they commit to is one of those decisions. Now, some may say, well, didn't they commit to that school in the first place? Sure. But they also are realizing they have the power to change their situation as well. So giving players more power in decision-making is kind of the catalyst behind a lot of this. Yeah, just as we see coaches uh, up and go and and change locations at their will. I mean, now you've got players that have that ability as well. And so, um, you know, as you said, every transfer is going to be for a different reason. But you can kind of break it down to three, four, five different kind of categories. And and if I'm missing something here, uh, please let me know. But you have your typical transfer. We've always kind of known, you know, your, your, uh, your father's transfer, right. Where, you know, a guy loses a competition or there's kind of an issue at the school, or, uh, maybe it's a personal matter and he wants to get closer to home, uh, a numbers game and the roster doesn't work on their favor, whatever it is, guy transfers out typically in those situations in the past, 
you would have to sit out a year if you were transferring from one uh, FBS to another FBS. You would have to sit out a full season. That is not the case that you mentioned the, the rule uh, that has gone in now or, or we're starting to go in now uh, where players can now transfer uh, and one time and not have to ha- have that sit out. But you have your typical uh, kind of your run-of-the-mill transfer. Then you have your grad transfer. Um, and this makes all the sense in the world. Once you get your degree at your first school, you can transfer and play right away to another co- for another school no, no sitting out. And that makes perfect, perfect sense. That's been going on now for a handful of years. The next part, you've got COVID transfers, guys that, uh, and the NCAA, uh, allowed players that if your season last year got canceled or didn't play, you were able to transfer and not have to sit out if you wanted to play last season. Now, some of those guys transferred last summer, last fall, and maybe played some in 2020, but then also took the NCAA uh, up on their offer to play that extra year. So you still have guys that are uh, that transferred initially because that season didn't happen and now are going to play here in 2021 as well. And along those same lines, and we talked about this um, with a couple of different people over the last few months, is the, the roster count transfers. Now, the thing is, with most of these kinds of players, they're not typically going to be NFL draft prospects. But that being said... The NCAA allowed all of these players that played in 2020 to have that extra year of eligibility. That said, they did not offer that same flexibility to all of the college programs. So if you are a college program, like, you know, insert a, if you're a Texas, if you're Temple, if you're Boise State, whoever you are, if you are a, a program and you have your, uh, your kind of machinations, your projections in terms of how many players you have on scholarship, you can only have a certain amount of players on scholarship. Obviously, there's limitations there. If you were planning on, hey, we have uh, 17 kids graduating this coming season, so we you factor that into recruiting, those numbers got thrown off. So, yeah, the NCAA may have said, hey, all of you guys, you, you have the ability to go back and get your final year of eligibility, but if the school didn't have room for you because they recruited 25 scholarship players from high school, well, then the, that spot might not be there for you. So you're going to have some of those guys that unfortunately had the short end of the stick and had to play elsewhere. And so um, the, the, I would say those kind of break out. Uh, do you feel like I'm missing anything there, Ben? I, I think no, that's, that's I think that's fair. And I think it just kind of uh, spurs the thought that, you know, recruiting is farming. You can't just expect to have the crops grown for tomorrow. You have to plan down the road. Yeah. So you plant the seeds with 10th, 11th, 12th graders. You get commitments to eventually have them grow into players for three, four years down the road. But now with players coming back, it throws off the whole life cycle of the crops coming in and coming out. The other thing that you kind of mentioned in there with the grad transfers, which I absolutely love. Sure. It's yep. becoming almost an arms race to get your degree. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that triggers, whether it's grad transferring, whether it's becoming eligible for senior bowls and bowl games because you got your degree early. I just love seeing the kids kind of commit to making sure we get that diploma. It might be two and a half, three years. I don't know how they do it. It's impressive, but get it done and get it done quickly. Well, that's the thing is that and I think this is kind of lost on some people is that. Every academic program and for school, whether it's football, basketball, whatever it is, worth or salt, they've got the plan in place for you to be able to get your degree in two and a half to three years. Like you take classes in summer one, you take classes in summer two, you're, you're taking those full course loads so that you can get your degree in two to three years. And in theory, if you're there for a full five, you can walk away with two degrees. That's what they're trying to set you up for. So uh, the grad transfer, once they put that in, Absolutely. You've seen a lot of players uh, take advantage of that. And the Eagles, uh, they just drafted a couple of players uh, that uh, were able to take you know that benefit with Landon Dickerson uh, and with Zach McPherson from Texas Tech. And Fran, while we're having a lot of players transfer, 
in my notes, particularly, it's becoming a point of emphasis for players that don't transfer. Hmm. And I think that's also a fun conversation. And the reasons why, whether it's, you know, Brock Purdy, four-star, goes to Iowa State as a young freshman, doesn't win the job. He didn't transfer. He worked hard, climbed his way up the depth chart, and ended up starting later in the season. Or maybe like a big fish in a small pond type of guy, like a Taewon Mullen. You know, coming down from Coconut Creek, going to the University of Indiana, people think he could play at a bigger school. Are they worried about losing him? No, he's staying there. It's almost become an endearing comment to now stay in there. Ahmad Gardner, all these group of five studs. He's obviously going to be a first-round pick next year. He's comfortable playing for his group of five team at Cincinnati. That's almost becoming a positive in my notes to say, you know what, for whatever reason, maybe adversity, big fish, small pond, you know, maybe you're just at a smaller level school. The fact you stayed there and you waited it out, it's almost becoming a uh, interesting conversation point. And also you can go the opposite way too, with the, the small fish, big pond, where you get a situation like Cornell Powell at Clemson, where, you know, you're a senior that you're a backup for your first three years. And then you have that opportunity. You have some injuries ahead of you. Justin Ross goes down. Some of the other guys, you know, the younger guys go down. You have some seniors that graduate ahead of you. You take advantage of that opportunity and you find yourself a draft pick. You go to the senior bowl after you were not rated by scouts mm-hmm. entering the season. That's a great name. And for all this transferring, you know, transferring is becoming a serious epidemic when Clemson now has transfers. Right. Because Clemson for a long time got players to stay to their senior year and rarely had kids leave the program. But in this just short two months, Darian Kendrick, see ya. Mike Jones Jr., see ya. Niles Pinckney, see ya. Mm. Clemson's starting to uh, lose some players in there that they traditionally haven't. But this is the climate of college football. So let's dive into some of these transfers because there is a lot of them. Yeah, and Clemson actually is also they're known for not going into the portal. Not only do they not lose guys, but they very – I mean, I'm pretty sure they don't at all go into the portal. They don't recruit junior college players either. Uh, They they rely on their high school. And are you writing more details about the transfers? Because I have some wacky notes. I have kids that transferred, (laughs) transferred back. Yep. I have kids that transferred, spent two days at that school and transferred again. Yep. Or maybe guys that are now on their fourth school. They're, they're what I call the gear collectors because I think they're just collecting T-shirts at this point. <laughs> uh, so are you are you specifying reasons when you know the reasons when I or go may, or when, maybe circumstances around yeah, it? And that's the thing is like, you know, you, every situation, like you said earlier, is unique. And you're not going to hold hold the fact that a guy transferred. You're not going to hold that alone against him. You want to know. What were the reasons behind it? If it was just a grad transfer and he's like, hey, I'm just looking for another opportunity, I don't think there's a, a lot to knock there, um, but it's a, another just a, a piece to the bio puzzle. And to me, that's uh, kind of how I look at it. Is It's not. It's the same thing with what we talked about with the opt-outs last year. It's like uh, the fact that a player opted out is not a negative. It's you get into the whys behind everything and, and try and dig into that aspect of it. Um, but let's get into some of these players. And we'll kind of go position by position here. Like I said, you've done a lot more work on these guys as a whole than I have. Um, but I'll kind of go through some of the low hanging fruit as well as we go position by position here. And I think for quarterback, the, the one name that I find to be really, really interesting. And I just, you know, it's one of the feel good stories of college football. If it can hit its ceiling and that's Mackenzie Milton at Florida state, uh, the transfer from central Florida. You may remember Mackenzie Milton back when he was a, a freshman and sophomore, he's leading the golden Knights, uh, on those, uh, those undefeated seasons and those AAC titles and oh, they should be in the playoff. And he has that gruesome knee injury a couple of years ago. He's missed 
I believe, 18 months. I mean, it was kind of an Alex Smith level uh, of rehab and that kind of injury uh, and transferred out. It's obviously a new staff down there at UCF, at the, now tw- twice removed now, uh, two staffs ago for UCF. And now he's at Florida State and it looks like he's going to be in the running to be the starting quarterback down there for the Seminoles. Yeah, it's a really great pick right there. We all remember him from some of those darling seasons at UCF. Another interesting transfer, and these aren't the top transfers, really just the intriguing ones for us. But Notre Dame finally taking over for the legendary Ian Book is Jack Cohn coming over from Wisconsin. Didn't play in 2020. Fran, the last time we saw him, battled Justin Herbert in the Rose Bowl. And before that, took a lead in the halftime against Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. This mm. guy was a big-time quarterback at Wisconsin, 6'4", 220. He's got a strong arm. He's a big-bodied kid. He's joining Notre Dame with a veteran receiving core, veteran offensive line at, at some spots at center, and they got a transfer left guard. I really think Jack Cohen's an interesting player, and I'm excited to see what he does in that Tommy Rees offense. Might look a little better than Ian Book, and Ian Book won a lot of games at Notre Dame. Hmm. That's an interesting one. And Ian Book, ironically enough, uh, he was the starting quarterback in Notre Dame for the last four years, right? So Phil Jerkovic, who was the backup to Ian Book, he transferred to Boston College last year, had a huge season for the Eagles, was a record-setting quarterback for them uh, a year ago, and now well, he's getting some buzz as a potential t- high pick uh, here coming up for 2021 or 2022. So we'll keep an eye there on Jerkovic. The if only he waited those four years, he could have started that fifth year. You know, that's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, all right. Let's get to uh, the running back position. And I'm going to go with a somewhat local guy, Burlington, New Jersey, right across the bridge here from Philadelphia. He started his career down at Baylor playing for Matt rule uh, and the Baylor bears transferred a little bit closer to home. He's now in state college for Penn state. That's running back. John Lovett, six foot, 210 pounds. This was a dirty work player, a uh, good pass protector. I studied him on film coming into the 2020 season. Um, they had a couple backs down there uh, that I was keeping an eye on. He was ranked as an athlete coming out of high school. Was he going to play offense? Was he going to play defense? He settled into the backfield. Like I said, just kind of a, a dirty work player, ran hard, does all the right things. He was worried about the, the, the overall athletic ceiling, but um, for a, a Penn State team that was still kind of smarting having the loss of Journey Brown, remember, uh, super talented running back uh, going into last year, he had to re- retire due to medical reasons, uh, Penn State hoping that they can get a little bit of a contribution there from John Lovett in that backfield. Yeah, it's a great pick there. And I'm already across the bridge, so he's from my neck of the woods over here. The running back transfer group is wild. You could talk about this for an entire episode. But I'm going to go with Ty Chandler going to North Carolina from Tennessee, was a top four or five star by almost every service. But North Carolina, no more Michael Carter, no more Javante Williams. Sam Howell's, uh, you know, darling quarterback this year, very veteran offensive line. Ty Chandler is a dynamic athlete. He is an all-purpose running back. He's got home run speed. You can see that with his, I think, three or four runs of 50-plus in his career. 3,200 all-purpose yards. He's got touchdowns running, catching, kickoff. I just look at what Michael Carter and Javante William did, and I know they did a lot of dirty work, a lot of yards after contact. That offensive line was blocking for somebody. Somebody was blocking up front for them. So I want to see that production now go to Ty Chandler. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's certainly a hole in that offense. And if, you know, maybe safeties are sitting back, worried about that deep ball in the offense and Sam Howell, going to be a lot of green grass for Ty Chandler underneath. All right. So you mentioned running back loaded in terms of guys that transfer. And that's typically a, a very popular position, obviously, for guys looking for that opportunity. You don't have to dive into deep notes on these guys, but can you speed through some of the other big names that people should keep an eye on here for the uh, you know for the 2021 season? Yeah, absolutely. Zach Charbonnet going from Michigan over to UCLA. Another He's gotten Pac- some buzz, yep. Another Pac-12 addition, Keontae Ingram going from Texas to USC. He's a really productive, tough running back at Texas. Eric Gray was the yep. other running back at Tennessee. He's now going to Oklahoma. 
Who does Oklahoma lose? TJ Pledger going to Utah, or excuse me, going to, yeah, Utah. Uh, he's kind of a dynamic dual threat uh, pass catching back as well. Uh, and some maybe off the grid ones, Drake Anderson was a very high level recruit going to Northwestern. He's now going to Arizona. He's a little undersized, but he's electric and a really fun player to watch. Michigan State is starting to grab all these kids, but they already had a stable of running backs. They're bringing over Kenneth Walker from Wake Forest and big Harold Joyner from Auburn. Two uh, backs joining an already deep kind of stable of backs up there with Ironhead Hayward's son and some other kids out there at Michigan State. But Mm. uh, running back, definitely a loaded group. The Philadelphia Eagles are now on Google Home and Amazon Alexa devices. Want to hear Merrill Reese before the season gets underway? Simply say, hey Google, talk to Philadelphia Eagles or Alexa, open Philadelphia Eagles and enjoy. Learn more at philadelphiaeagles.com slash voice. All right, let's go to a wide receiver. A bunch of names uh, in this group as well. Uh, I'm going to go with the guy going from Nebraska over to Kentucky. That's Wandell Robinson. He's going to be a a junior this year, 5'10", 190 pounds. Now, the the thing about Robinson, he is just known for his explosiveness. And I actually talked with former Nebraska defensive tackle Darian Daniels at the Combine last March, March of 2020, so two marches ago. And I was just saying, hey, who's a guy that we're going to be talking about next year? And he said, we've got this true freshman receiver, Wandell Robinson. You turn on any game and you're going to see him. He's got speed in every aspect, uh, special teams, offense. Uh, you know, you, you look the way that he plays. He is just electric. And he went on. It was just a whole long thing. Um, you know, with and without the football, this guy is electric. And then you see uh, he had, a, you know, he was able to produce. He's always kind of generated buzz. Then he transfers to Kentucky this past offseason, and Bruce Feldman uh, put out a note a couple months ago saying uh, his new coaches have been really impressed um, by how he's a football junkie and how dedicated he is to his craft. And so uh, just good, positive buzz for Wondell Robinson, maybe one of the more intriguing, dynamic options uh, going into the SEC this year at the receiver position. Fran, he is a through-and-through receiver. The last two seasons, he has 134 rushing attempts. Yep. They just said, how do we get this guy the ball? Come into the backfield, jet sweeps, whatever we have to do. I'm not even sure I want to call him a receiver. He's a gadget playmaker, get the ball in his hands. And another similar player, Katie Dixon, a weird same conference grad transfer going from Colorado to USC. Similar kind of package, 5'9", 190, track athlete, gadget receiver. You just want to get the ball in his hands any way possible. There's some room now in the offense at USC. Keaton Slovis, the quarterback, but you had obviously Amonra St. Brown move on to the NFL. We'll see what Drake London can do over there as well, who's more of a size receiver. Katie Nixon, he's going to be a huge yards after catch threat at USC. He's already a four-year player for Colorado, so uh, somebody at USC is probably very familiar with. I have some notes on Katie Nixon. Let me see if I if I can pull them up. I know that I've talked with some players uh, about him in the past. The one off the one offbeat receiver one that I would just want to throw out there really quick. Yeah, our our local guy Changa Hodge from Villanova, huge productive receiver right. at Villanova. He took a grad transfer to Virginia Tech. Really interested to see what he does with some big boy football at Virginia he's, Tech. And he's an example of a player who transferred due to COVID. Uh, exactly. Did, did, yep. They did not play last year. Uh, down at the FCS. Uh, Davion Taylor actually talked to me about KD Nixon. Um, so I asked Davion about him at the senior bowl in 2020, January, 2020. Uh, he said, 
absolutely you know uh, that this kid is going to be a big-time athlete. If you've watched us this year, you know how dynamic he can be. Um, you know when he's in the room. He practices like he plays. Always a hard worker. He's going to compete every day. So he spoke uh, very highly uh, of Katie Nixon as well. 5'8", 185 uh, that time going to Colorado. Let's go to the tight end spot. Uh, a couple of big names here for me. I- I'm going to go with maybe the biggest one, and that's Arik Gilbert, the tight end, previously from LSU. Looked like he was going to transfer to Florida and replace Kyle Pitts. But backed out of that, now he's going to the Georgia Bulldogs. So uh, ends up out there with UGA. But Arik Gilbert, who's, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, will just be a true sophomore, so not eligible here for 2020, or 2022, rather. But um, Arik Gilbert, uh, a really dynamic prospect. I say that very likely a prospect right now, uh, but just someone to keep an eye on. He ends up with the Bulldogs. Yeah, it's a great name there. Trey Berry going to Boston College from Jacksonville State. Interesting one. And I think we're all rooting for Grant Calcaterra to kind of emerge and re, uh, you know, get his career back on track. Was a dynamic player at Oklahoma for Baker Mayfield. Retired from the game because of head injuries. Popped back out at Auburn last year but didn't play. Now at SMU. So I think he's healthy, ready to go. And if he's anything like his Oklahoma self, he's a top 100 type of prospect. Uh, let's go to the offensive line. And this is a guy I have not studied. I know you have. He popped on my radar as an SEC all-freshman pick for the Tennessee Volunteers back in 2020. He transferred to Oklahoma. That's Wanya Morris, uh, a big-time prospect uh, in terms of coming out of high school, going into so a big-time recruit uh, going to Tennessee. Um, have you studied Morris, and how do you think he's going to fit in with Oklahoma here? I think I did a game or two of his that Tennessee freshman year. We saw uh, Zach Wilson and BYU knock them right. off at home. He was a five-star. They threw right into the fire and kind of a bad offense, bad coaching staff. It was a dumpster fire at times, but you saw the potential. And the fact he got on the field early, played next to Trey Smith, got some really good reps and experience. Now he's going to take that and finish his career at Oklahoma, who has Mm. two experienced guards, and and they just really need some tackles out there. But I'm going to go with a guy that's coming over from Memphis to TCU, Obina Ezi. Paved the way for Antonio Gibson, Kenneth Gainwell the past two years. This guy is a building. He's 6'8", 315. Initially came to the U.S. from Nigeria to play basketball. And then converted and somehow found a football at his feet and said, go play left tackle. He is a good-looking kid. So we'll see what he can do down there in the Big 12 for TCU this year. All right, so I'm going to go uh, to the defensive side. Let's go with our defensive lineman. I'm going to go with Big Cat Bryant, who uh, began his career at Auburn, was an SEC all-freshman pick back in 2017. I was going to say, we've been hearing his name for years. We have, and, and this is a guy that, I, look, when you have a name Big Cat Bryant, I mean, you're going to you're gonna kind of stand out, regardless of how you look uh, on the field. But uh, came in as a freshman, had a couple sacks, had a forced fumble, had some big plays there. Um, plays for three years down at Auburn, transfers to Tennessee, but doesn't quite stick there, ends up now at UCF. So big, big, big cat, Brian, 6'5", 250 pounds. He was a buck, the, the buck end there for Kevin Steele in that 3-4. So uh, lined up to the boundary side, was, a, was a, you know, a guy that could take on the point of attack in the run game, showed some power to be able to get after the quarterback as well. Um, I didn't see a guy with outstanding physical traits, but I didn't see any major weaknesses from a physical standpoint either. I thought that he uh, showed some ability to turn the corner. He didn't. He never looked out of place. Uh, but this is a, a really violent player. That's what really stood out to me is that, you know, when he's at his best, uh, his violent nature uh, and really his, his motor allow him to be able to get home and, and wreak havoc in the backfield. 
the motor, certainly. I was studying the two uh, off-ball linebackers at Auburn and kept noticing Big Cat. I mean, he had spin moves, double hand swipes, constantly chasing the ball out to the sidelines. I've never really studied him and said, oh, I forgot about Big Cat Brian. He really never lived up to that true freshman season. But all right, here, Fran, we got to pour one out for your Temple Owls. They lost two really good trench players in Afani Maja going to Rutgers and Arnold Ebicati. Ebicati? That's, that's all you. I haven't done them yet. Arnold Ebicati, uh heading to Penn State. Two really productive, juiced-up defensive tackles that can get after the passer. They're both about 280, 300 pounds. We'll see what they can do for their new teams uh, now that they're playing for some Power 5 schools. And the other one I want to throw in there is a little guy from Georgia State who led the country in sacks in 2020. Now, Georgia State maybe played a couple more games but he finished with 10 and a half sacks heading to South Carolina. And that's edge Jordan Strachan, who was a walk on safety, the linebacker to defensive end. He's going to be playing opposite of uh, Kingsley and out mm-hmm. there at South Carolina. So we'll see what those two can do in the sec. All right, let's go to linebacker. And for me, I'm going to go with one of the biggest names to enter the portal this year. And that was Henry To'o To'o. Uh, previously with Tennessee, Tennessee had a huge mass exodus uh, with the change of coaching staffs down there. Um, so he ends up at Alabama and he's going to be eligible to play right away. That was uh, one of the really one of the big, um, I would say, impacts from the rule that the SEC just allowed. Every other conference allowed it in football uh, where, where an interconference transfer, so from an SEC to an SEC school, you would be allowed to play right away. That had been approved by everybody, not by the SEC up until just a few weeks ago. Um, but this guy was a big-time player. He's a top 50 player coming out of high school uh, down there at De La Salle High School in California. A bunch of big-time uh, players have come from that. I mean, Maurice Jones-Drew, uh, Austin Hooper, when he was a five-star recruit going to, at Stanford, they turn out uh, NFL talent consistently. Goes to Tennessee, ends up at Alabama, 6'2", 225, and he was a two-year starter uh, down there with the Vols. When you look at him in the past game, he sniffs out the screen game really well. I think he's a pretty good athlete. He's got to get a little bit better in terms of being able to uh, read routes and man-to-man coverage. I think he can get carved up a little bit uh, on like some Texas routes and option routes. But I think he does do a nice job of reading route concepts as an underneath zone player. And where you really like him is just his uh, aggressiveness downhill in the run game. He's got to get a little bit stronger through contact, but he's a form tackler. He sees what he hits. He brings his feet. Uh, he's got a little bit of an angular frame. He's got a, he's got a little bit of a lean waist. So from a play strength standpoint, you just like to get him a little, a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. Um, but he was a guy that got everybody lined up each and every snap. Very aggressive, very tough, very violent player, not afraid to scrap uh, after the whistle. So, uh, you know, this is a guy that I think is going to fit this Alabama defense really well and continue, uh, you know, what has been a trend of, really, really impressive front sevens for Nick Saban. The production has not always been great for Toe Toe on a per snap basis, but uh, just keep an eye on this kid. He's a guy that uh, obviously a big, big name, uh, but someone that fans definitely should know going into 2021. Listen, Fran, Jeremy Pruitt, Never quite got it, you know, off the right foot at Tennessee. Never really got the the win total going, as they say. They've recruited their butts off out yeah. there. They had yep. tons of talent, tons of athletes. Unfortunately, they've scattered like cockroaches. Yeah. The running back's gone. The quarterback's gone. The offensive lineman gone. The sexy five-star linebacker's gone. They're going to be all over the place in the transfer portal. There's some really good players that just never really – I don't want to say lived up to their potential, but maybe weren't coached properly, just maybe never gelled with a program that was kind of losing. There's a lot of talent coming from Tennessee around the country. 
Finally, a name that's not going to uh, cause some marbles in my throat here. Mike Jones Jr. Everyone knows him from Clemson. High recruit, uh, really productive player last year. He's heading to LSU and one of the more high-profile transfers. I mean, you go from Clemson to LSU. That's a pretty big-time programs. Six foot, 220. He wore number six. Played detached quite often, that nickel Sam spot, explosive athlete. I studied him last week, Fran. I thought I was I thought I was watching Jeremiah Usukormoa again. Mm. And I don't know if, it, know if it was just the number six or that squatty, thick, explosive frame or where he was playing on the field, but very similar athlete. I want to know, is he playing Mike or Will at LSU? Which their Mike and Will last year were horrendous. And that was Damone Clark and uh, Jabril Cox. So I want to know if he's going to play a true off ball Mike Will or if they're going to keep him out in space. Mm. And he was a second team all ACC from PFF last year. He had 16 tackles, 13 misses. So he's a guy that didn't always live up to the uh, reliability out there at the safety position playing out in space. So mm. maybe playing in more of a phone booth would suit him better. All right. Well, let's go uh, to the secondary, our last spot here. I'm going to go cornerback DK Kendrick previously from Clemson now at Georgia made big news just a few weeks ago by announcing that he was going to go to the Bulldogs six foot 190 pounds he's been on the radar really for a couple of years and we talked about him uh, as early as like it was like last summer so summer of 2020 uh, going into his junior season he was a former receiver he's a five-star wide receiver recruit down at South Point High School in, in Rock Hill South Carolina that was the same high school as Jadavian Clowney Stefan Gilmore they put out some big time talents uh, down there at South Point High School he goes to Clemson plays some games as a receiver that first year he had 15 catches for two over 200 yards then he makes the move over to corner and that first year he makes second team all ACC and I talked with some of the Clemson defenders after that year they were you know they win the national title and you know or they lost the national title rather to uh to LSU and those guys were like look he had no idea what he was doing last year, and he still made second team all ACC. He still had a, a couple picks and five PBUs. Uh, this guy's ceiling is through the roof. And when you watch him, I mean, he is a silky smooth athlete, really fluid hips, easy change of direction, burst to close. He's got traits to play any coverage scheme that you want inside, outside, press, off, man, zone, doesn't matter. He's got like when you watch him against zone or in zone coverage. His eyes are always in the right place. He understands how offenses are trying to attack him. He can be a little bit late to react to, react to uh, route breaks and man-to-man, uh, man man, but he's got the ability to recover. The speed is fine. It's not a, a huge, huge strength, but the speed is fine. I think he's going to fit really well uh, down there in Georgia. If you had to say which, which of the two corners does he best represent between Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell, I think he's probably more Eric Stokes, you know, in terms of um, just the overall skill set and against the run game, because I do want him to get a little bit better coming downhill uh, to defend the run, get a little bit more consistent as a tackler. Uh, but this guy's got all the athletic traits you want. If he could take another big step uh, this year at Georgia, uh, you're talking about a pretty high pick. Uh, I don't know if he's going to go top 10, top 15, but you're talking about a pretty high pick here in DK Kendrick. He's a really, really good talent. Well, it's a new era down there in Athens secondary. I mean, Campbell, Stokes, Daniel, Webb, LeCount. Gone. Tyreek Stevenson, you know, really exciting young safety linebacker. He transferred to Miami. So there's a lot of new bodies out there. And they brought in a kid from West Virginia to follow the position coach from West Virginia, who's now going to be coaching DBs out at Georgia. And that's Tyke Smith, who had a huge season for West Virginia, transferring now to Georgia. Uh, I think he's going to transition more from the corner to that safety kind of star position. I think the same position that either uh, Mark Webb or Tyreek Stevenson was playing, kind of more of a box nickel player. But there's a lot of interesting transfers in the defensive back position. One in particular, I'm excited about 
outside of TJ Carter, who's coming down to TCU from Memphis, Memphis has already, already played 3,000 snaps in his career, and he's going to transition to safety. But Brendan Radley Hiles, five-star nickel safety from Oklahoma. This guy started 32 games over the last three seasons. He's played a ton. Explosive player. He's going to join a really freaky secondary out there in Washington with Trent McDuffie, who turned some heads a few weeks ago with nearly a 42-inch vertical, and Kyler Gordon who's the other corner who was a freak lister last year. So a lot of athleticism in that Washington secondary. I don't know what it is. Washington just seems to always produce high level defensive back prospects. So I think he's going to be another one, more of a middle of the field defender than a true outside corner, but a really, really experienced player and a dynamic athlete. Uh, you know, I think when you look at their, uh, uh, that system and Jimmy Lake, a, a great coach, now the head coach, previously the defensive coordinator and works with the defensive backs. Uh, Kyler Gordon's interesting. I watched him last, uh, last summer, uh, with the rest of that Washington secondary. He's a really interesting. Was he the freak lister? Did I he was, he up? was the, no, he was the freak lister and the, the numbers, the reported numbers on him from Bruce Feldman back in 2019 were, uh, absolutely silly. Oh, Fran, anyone in their bio that has dance, kung fu, and ballet as a corner? You're getting bumped up the board a couple notches there. He he was on Seattle, the Seattle Storm's hip hop dance troupe as a nine year old. That was from uh from from Bruce Feldman as well. See, those uh, are the hard hitting notes you get on this podcast. I yeah. gotta plug <laughs> that in my sheet here. <laughs> uh, we should we should create that. That should be the social tease uh, for this one. Is uh, <laughs> we talk about the Seattle Storm's dance troupe. Um, but yeah, a ton of transfers, and obviously there's a lot more than uh, even the ones that we've listed. But just want to give people a little bit of a uh, heads up on some of the names. We're going to start our full 2021 previews uh here in a few weeks but figured we'd take this week and just kind of dip into the transfer port a little bit hope you guys enjoyed this week's version of the journey to the draft podcast presented by life brand we'll be back a little bit later this week i don't want to say who we've got coming up uh in our process series i don't want to jinx it because i'm supposed to do the interview tomorrow morning but uh we will have a, a really fun interview later this week right here on the journey to the draft podcast presented by life brand Introducing Season 2 of the Return Game Podcast, Birds, Boys, and Bad Blood, presented by NovaCare Rehabilitation. When it comes to the Eagles-Cowboys rivalry, you think you know the whole story, but there is more. So, so much more, and we're about to uncover it all. And I think back to some of my favorite memories in the rivalry, and I remember exactly where I was who I was with, what I was doing for so many of these games. Lido Shepard's interception to ruin T.O.'s return to Philly. I remember leaping off the couch in my house where I grew up and nearly punching the ceiling. I jumped so high. The pickle juice game. I was actually on a family vacation in Disney World. We made sure we were back at our hotel so that we did not miss that game. 44-6. to I remember I was watching that game from a bar near the mall where I was finishing up Christmas shopping. Earlier that day, I was with one of my best friends. Obviously, we couldn't miss the game, so we made sure we were geared up up. We had a good spot in front of a big screen. We went through like 18 plates of appetizers that day. And I have these memories because these games meant so much and continue to mean so much to us as Eagles fans. So if you want to relish some of those great moments in the rivalry, be sure to go subscribe to Return Game, an Eagles Entertainment original podcast. Subscribe now wherever you listen to podcasts.